0: We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors for supporting our programs. Here's a quick message. Keycentrix is a premier provider of business-enhancing technology for independent pharmacies. Their powerful solutions help specialty, retail, mail order, and direct-to-consumer pharmacies thrive. Use newly pharmacy management software with the SendKey communication platform and FlexTrack's point-of-sale system to run better, smarter, and faster while maintaining the highest quality patient and prescriber care. Gain faster prior authorizations, greater patient adherence, improved prescription accuracy, and better utilization of staff. All with a 24-7 help desk and KeyCentrics University, an online training system that can be accessed from any device, anytime. Learn how KeyCentrics can help your pharmacy by visiting keycentrics.com
1: you're listening to the pharmacy podcast network
0: you're listening to the nasp podcast This specialty pharmacy podcast is a collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The mission of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy is to improve specialty pharmacy practice by promoting continuing professional education and certification of specialty pharmacists while advocating for public policies that ensure patient access to specialty medications. As the healthcare industry's leading podcast dedicated to the pharmacy profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring our listeners the NASP Podcast in collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. Hey, we're here at Hessembia 2023. We've formed a special relationship with Accela Health. I want to give a shout out to Michael Balzicki. He's really helped to bring in some of the most innovative voices in specialty pharmacy and the market of specialty pharmacy, what that means for patient care. I just appreciate him and what he's done in bringing us closer to not only Assembia, but the NASP, the National Association of Specialty Pharmacies. This is a special series. Mike Balzicki, this is a special time, Assembia 2023. It's good to have you here in the podcast studios, Cabana 5, by the pool, and we're hanging out.
2: Thanks, son I can't you know, exemplify how awesome this is, one, uh, kicking off our one of six Biopharmaceutical Educational Podcast Workshop Series uh, in collaboration with PPN and the National Association of Pharmacy. But to do this first episode live out at Assembia 23, uh, it's just phenomenal. I think over 10,000 walk in the halls throughout this conference and to sit in front of me uh, to kick off episode one on the series of one of six, really looking into the insights of uh, not only rare ultra-orphan uh, drugs uh, in, in the markets, but the gene cell therapy Uh, uh, providers as well, you know, again, the challenges and the access and the costs that we're all seeing uh, with manufacturers, providers, payers, especially pharmacies, and more importantly, the patients, uh, in this category, and again, I'm joined today by some two industry experts, uh, Tommy Cohn, obviously representing Assembia. he's their chief strategy officer, and I'm also joined by Nick Calla, senior vice president uh, industry relations for Orsini Healthcare. Welcome, guys. You know, again, this is a, a really one of six workshop series focused on the biopharmaceutical markets, uh, and again, this is topic one, uh, number one, really giving some insights to not only the growth in this area of rare disease. But the gene cell therapy market that we're now seeing really soar and, 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 and really get into a radical shift of treatment in rare disease. So, you know, I'll, my first question to you guys uh, I, I, you know, heard an alarming statistic uh, that really just hit me is, you know, the FDA this year on drug approvals, the, the area of 86% will go to specialty pharmacy drugs. And again, I think we're seeing this huge radical shift, not only in rare disease, but now we're going to start being hit in the face with the gene cell therapy markets coming this year into 2024, 2025, 2025, almost 30 gene cell therapies in a the market. What are you seeing as, in regards to just manufacturers and specialty pharmacies evolving to, again, meet these challenges, not only in the soaring pipeline in rare disease, but the gene cell therapy markets? Tom?
1: Yeah, I think it's a real interesting time. Hey, well, I want to welcome everybody to our meeting here. This is our nineteenth meeting, and for me, it feels like when we started Assembian having these meetings out in Vegas. You know, specialty pharmacy seems like it was at the point where selling genius right now. Like you talked about, hey, back then specialty pharmacy was less than ten percent of the of the market, and now, like you just said, it's eighty seven percent. I feel like. We're at the beginning, uh, the tip of the iceberg right now of what this is going to turn into. So, um, I, it's a lot of, there's a similar pattern. You know, back then people thought products were expensive. Wow, we're like in a whole nother category. It was the same questions back then. You know, how are people going to pay for it? There were a lot of answers about. Well, it's actually curing diseases we didn't think were curable. So I think there's a lot of patterns in this. It's very exciting. And, you know, I'm hopeful that we're going to, you know, come up with some answers for these questions. I'm excited to talk more about this.
0: You know, from my end of it, so uh, Tommy, I have been here for all 19 uh, assemblies over (laughs) the years. So, um, again, excited to be here again. And as you said, when we first started, you know, we were really talking about some larger disease states, hepatology, immunology, and that's really where all of the specialty pharmacies um, worked. Um, as we progress now, especially over the last five to 10 years, you can see more and more of the rare diseases are, um, you know, obviously there's therapy coming to market for each of these uh, diseases. And each one of them is unique in their own way. When you look at the, um, the rare disease market, ultra rare disease market, when you've seen one program, you've seen one program. It, it, it takes a great de- Degree of uh, customization, you know, not only from a patient services point of view, but also from um, a data point of view, your interaction uh, with the manufacturer um, to to really bring that program um, home. Um, You know, if you look at the market today, you know, there are um, a handful of pharmacies that are focusing in this space. And I would think, you know, as we get into 2024, 2025, obviously many other pharmacies, I'm taking it from the providers side, um, from a pharmacy provider side, um, are going to want to get into this space. And um, it's, um, it's, it, it takes a, a lot of focus um, and a lot of uh, attention to detail in order to truly be able to manage these patients.
2: Yeah, Nick, you bring a, you know, a really important idea of, of concept that you know I think we're all challenged with being in this space, especially especially pharmacies uh, that we've all kind of tangled with in this web. And I think what Assembia does um, in this venue is obviously brings together colleagues and industry ac- experts to not only attend the sessions and learn. But again, network and have these meetings. I mean, in the last 20 to 48 hours, I think I've done like 36 meetings of speed dating, I call it. And one of the things I really picked up is meeting with these manufacturers that are coming out in these you know, rare disease market segments, particularly precision medicine. Everyone's so focused on the oncology pipeline, which they should because it's very robust, but really looking at the first-of-kind products coming out in rare disease, what do you guys think that manufacturers really got to start grasping, looking at the commercialization strategy, and really think differently out of the box? Because, again... We're coming out with precision medicine products, first-of-kind launches in disease categories we've never seen before or even have data to see the, you know, success rate of adherence, compliance, and how to dose it, how to store it, et cetera. Um, and, again, I think manufacturers are really struggled in, in really trying to understand what pharmacy partner is really good at what to, you know, again, have a commercialization strategy that's going to meet their product demand. huh? Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm excited
1: to see the number of manufacturers out here that um, are focused on personalized medicine. That's really showing me that things have changed. Um, I, I think one thing to think about is um, the locations where these patients can get these treatments right now are limited. So it in some ways looks like a clinical trial still it's still hey how do i really commercialize this um, and maybe it's easier when there's smaller patient populations but as we see these products being available for larger patient populations that's going to be you know part of the challenge and i think that's where they need to come to a meeting like this and look at hey you know who are the landscape of the players out there there's lots of different pharmacies whether it's an infused product um who are who are the locations that can do these types of infusions and what kind of services are they going to need to get the patients um, approved for the product and get it paid i mean that's a whole nother question but just who's capable of you know taking a patient through this journey and i think coming out here and meeting different folks that can do it, it's really important
2: yeah, and you bring a good point, too, and Nick, I want to kind of get your point uh, and, and insights on this is, again, you know, a lot of these companies that are coming out with these type of rare disease or even gene cell therapies now, you know, their, their bandwidth of their internal, you know, operational capabilities and staff is very limited. So, for example, you know, there, there's a couple of companies we met with today that, you know, really, you know, they can only afford, you know, a couple, you know, a VP market access, advocacy, reimbursement, and their their bandwidth is limited. They can't hire, you know, uh, you know staff members and market access people like a Novartis should. So, again, what can we do as a specialty pharmacy segment provider provide those level of services that they need to launch their product? Mm-hmm.
0: Let me um, go back to the beginning just for a moment and, and, and really answer your question, Mike. So when we started out here, you know, at Assembia, really we were just meeting with some of the larger um Manufacturers. Um, it was really, you know, big pharma dominated um, at the outset. Over again, over the last several years, for example, this year alone, we we ourselves have had well over 50 meetings, and I'd say that probably at least half were with uh, emerging biotech. So, Mike, to your point, when you're emerging biotech, you are. Um, Small, you're lean and mean. You're wearing a lot of different hats as a manufacturer. So what we try and do, and certainly other pharmacies try and do as well, is we try and fill some of the spaces and some of the voids, you know, for that manufacturer. So when you're bringing a product to market, you know, we we try and take a consultative approach with them. Um, advise them on payer landscape, you know what, what you know the pitfalls, the, the obstacles you're going to need to overcome. you know, talk to them about the entire process and the way it should work. So what we try and do is we try to become a conduit to that manufacturer and become a true partner. And I think that's, that's one of the big things you've seen is a change. Uh, it's, it's, when, when specialty pharmacy first came out, we always viewed it, I know I've always viewed it as being a collaborator, a partner to that. Manufacturer. That is even more imperative now with some of these smaller emerging biotechs, and it's very different than traditional pharmacy and even traditional specialty pharmacy, where it was still more of a quote unquote, you know, buyer vendor type relationship.
2: What's your, what's your guys' impact and, and insights? Again, I'm going to kind of shift a little outside of rare disease now and get into the gene cell therapy market that everyone's talking about. And again, if you're following the approval ratings this year, we're on track by the FDA to approve 14 to 16 potential gene cell therapies in the U.S. market this year alone. And by 2025, like I noted before, we're gonna see 30 by 2027, 50 by 2020, 30, 70 different types of gene cell therapies. And and again, you know, as we're here at Assembia, the Specialty Pharmacy Summit you know, a showcase that everyone attends out of the year, you know, I, I think, again, as Tommy you noted, this space is very limited right now in regards to the channel of those with logistics. It's going to go to, you know, centers of excellence of hospitals, but the prediction based on the, the soaring amount of products coming out, it's got to shift and it's going to shift into the specialty pharmacy channel and, and what are those providers going to do to manage such, you know, product types, refrigeration, patient uh, monitoring, right? Who's going to follow up with these patients? Again, so many services that got to, you know, back up. I call it the patient journey mapping in this area. So what are you guys seeing as, you know, key trends in the gene cell therapy market as this kind of uh, pipeline scores moving so, uh, forward?
1: Well, I think the specialty pharmacy can play a role today, even with this limited model, in um, screening and identifying patients. So maybe that's the the start of the process. You know, there's these great therapies, and it might, you know, sometimes the conditions the patients are suffering might have been misdiagnosed. But hey, now that we know there's a marker for this, how can we get the pharmacy to help get involved in the? testing process. I mean, just through COVID, we saw how pharmacies can play a key role in this, especially when there's limited bandwidth. And um, it's it's something that they're relied on to do. And then how do they get involved in the continuum of care? Because again, these patients aren't going to be, you know, always able to go to these locations, so they need to coordinate their care with other pharmacies. And some of these therapies might take a while to be effective. So that's part of the question, too, if it, you know, what happens in between? So I think there's a role for um, all types of pharmacies, whether it's specialty pharmacy, retail pharmacy, you know, how do we coordinate these services? And then from there, how do we grow it into something that the pharmacies themselves can do? So I think there's a combination of answers and it's, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's something that needs to, we, we all need to come together to really deliver these solutions to patients.
0: Tommy makes a lot of good points. Um, I think the way I want to look at this is you break it down into components. So number one, you know, the actual identification of the, the patient. You know, the manufacturer has obviously spent <clears throat> quite a bit of time Um, identifying the appropriate genetic markers, et cetera, to find, you know, who is the appropriate patient. Um, And obviously, ultimately, it's the specialist, the provider that's going to make that ultimate determination. I think pharmacy can play a role in facilitating some of that genetic testing. Um, You know, retail pharmacy, um, if you're equipped um, and you have the right uh, infrastructure, could probably do it. Um, Certainly, specialty pharmacy could build out that capability and then be you know partner with the manufacturer to to make that happen make that part of it happen and then when you you know then the next component at least in my mind would be around the uh, actual fulfillment of the, uh, the drug Again many of these products When they come to market Many of them are one time therapy today um, You will start to see more chronic therapy In the gene space um, As the market evolves The pharmacy is going to have to be prepared um, And there's some basic things That have to happen Number one is you do have to have For example cryogenic capability Within the pharmacy Something that if you're going to play into space You're going to have to build out It's just a, an obvious um, barrier to, to entry. If you don't have that from that end of it, um, then you the, uh, know the fulfillment. You can work out through business rules with your manufacturer or partner exactly how that fulfillment is going to look and what that patient journey is going to look like. And then ultimately, then there's also going to be the data component, which is the third component in my mind. Um, and the data is obviously very, very important to the manufacturer and the pharmacy is going to have to have that ability. You know, whether it be in a in a in a traditional specialty pharmacy model. Um, Um, In an IDN model, you know, even, you know, maybe some select retail models, you have to have the ability to capture that data and then share it uh, back to the manufacturer in the way that they want to see it.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up some key points, uh, Nick. And again, you guys, you know, come from the same, you know, tenure as I have in this space. And I have to bring it up because it is definitely a topic of talk as we see this pipeline soar, not in, only in rare disease, but now the gene cell therapy is cost which equals access, right? So this is a topic uh, of many that we're seeing uh, not only in the payer world with self-insured to health plans and, and health systems, but looking at the escalating cost of these drugs. I mean, I'll give an example. I have a large hemophilia background. I mean, I remember in the you know, late 90s, There may have been, you know, maybe a total of eight-factor-eight products in the market. Average cost with uh, with a hemophilia uh, patient was maybe $175,000. Today, we have 24 products out in the market. Average cost because of, you know, these type of products are, are dosing a little bit better prophylactically. Um, And besides price, now the average cost is over $600,000. So any employer group can have a million-dollar claim by tomorrow morning based on the challenges, you know, these rare disease patients face based on managing their disease categories. Besides, now we're seeing $3 million price tags on gene and cell therapy. So I like your perspective of what can, you know, especially pharmacy know, experts and and providers do with working with manufacturers, and and what are we seeing in these financial models uh, nowadays to ensure that cost and access is, you know, looking at those two quadrants very differently?
1: Yeah, I think you touched on it with the data, right? I mean, we have
2: to justify the use
1: of these drugs and um, be able to measure the outcomes. I mean, this has been a challenge of, you know, kind of connecting the dots between when Um, A patient's diagnosed, they, they follow a treatment that might start in a hospital or be done in a physician's office, and then maybe follow up therapy by a specialty pharmacy. And it it's it's always been a challenge, but now we're going to be in a position where we're forced to do it because of the price of the drug, or we're being forced to go to you know value-based contracts or outcome-based contracts. You know it's not going to happen unless you know the, these drugs aren't going to be affordable unless we can come up with a new pricing model. And um, and the data is going to be a key part of it. We have to identify those data elements that really affect the endpoints
0: that could be measured and the effectiveness that can be shown. And I can look at it from my perspective, from a, excuse me, from a specialty pharmacies uh, point of view is, uh, and Tommy's right, you have to validate the effectiveness of the product uh, to justify the cost of the product. I think part of it, you know, especially pharmacy and the manufacturer, need to educate the payer um, on the value. Um, yeah, so the hemophilia therapies are in the three million dollar category, but then this could be a you know disease-altering um, medication um, and, and and really um, you know alter you know really reverse the um, the the trend for a particular patient, yeah, and so the 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 pharma- pharmacy again can it play a role there the, the pharmacy can also play play a role in in Again, I mentioned it earlier in the data, right, in collecting the right data and be a partner in outcomes types of studies um, around these products. Again, you know, it's interesting because, again, these products, I think, will always have uh, a direct buy or buy and build component, and there will be some data capture there. But I really think that the pharmacy, even with what they can gather, can gather a lot of valuable data that then probably can be extrapolated across a larger um, body.
2: No, no, great point, you guys. I mean, I, I and again, I'll, I'll focus on one point you made, Nick. And we're seeing, obviously, payer shifts in, in into this area, and it's really because you know uh, you know we're looking at product archetypes anymore within specialty pharmacy. I mean, I always say define specialty pharmacy these days and how you attack not only the oral pharmacy benefit versus medical benefit, but now looking at rare disease and gene cell therapies. I always tell folks forty six percent of this pipeline coming out is still going to be infusion. So we're seeing an increased site of care or redirection programs around infusion-type drugs, right? We're even seeing an increase in white bagging, now clear bagging, or gold bagging. So again, all these different uh, mechanics and models to address these infusion costs that reside in the medical benefit, What are specialty pharmacies doing to work with manufacturers and also payers to address the appropriate site of care? Um, And and again, it really goes into something that we can't lose sight on. We did a a, a series on this last year about the specialty pharmacy patient journey mapping. Uh, And that's so important how we really work for those patients and appropriately journey map them out based on is the home the most appropriate site or an inventory infusion center now or a physician's office or a patient uh, hospital outpatient. Again, so many things going on with that from a financial versus clinical model. Love your guys' insight on that.
1: Yeah, I think you brought up a a lot of good points there. There's the 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 site of care and you know um, what what their reimbursement model looks like at you know different sites of care. I think you have to look at the patient journey and the product journey, because you know like Nick mentioned these products could be buy and build, but you know, I see a lot of physician's offices closing because they just can't afford the cash flow on products that really aren't that expensive. So then they're choosing to have it either white bagged or, you know, I, I need to sell my practice to a larger organization that has the financial cash flow to support you know, the products of today. So a lot of this is going to come down to a financial model that more might determine the cash flow. And then, you know, what's the appropriate site of care for this patient where they can get the the right follow-up. But I think some of it's going to come down to how the contracts look. And, you know, as, as the payer landscapes, you know, kind of changing quickly too, as we see the, you know, um, Growth, you know, all all the changes we see in the blues plans, about um, ACOs and IDNs, you know, I I think it's going to follow in parallel. Who's who's going to be able to afford to provide these therapies? It's going to have to be people with good access to capital, and so we see investments on kind of both sides, both on the infrastructure side. Sites of care are changing. You know, we just saw the announcement, um, you know, yesterday about. you know, uh, you know, retail pharmacies getting more into a, a vertical integration model. Um, and I, some of this might be all just predictions of what's going to happen with these products and, you know, how, how can I really handle this? So um, I think a lot of this is to be seen from my standpoint.
0: And those are all really, really good points. Um, again, I'll take it from the perspective of, of a specialty pharmacy. Um, we're, you know, obviously we're fulfilling the, the product. Um, we can work with the manufacturer, with the provider, even with the payer to, to recommend. Sites of care. What we have seen, you know, within our experience, why be appropriate site of care. Ultimately, from the pharmacy's point of view, we have to be prepared uh, to to handle any of those sites of care. Um, that'll take a different form depending on where you're gonna ultimately send that product for fulfillment, whether it be the patients' home, where you're not only you're going to rearrange or arrange the um, the the drug delivery, but you're also going to have to coordinate nursing to help support and infuse. products product. Um, it will take a different role um, in, when it's an alternative um, infusion center. And um, ultimately, even if you're sending it to the doctor's you know, site of care, again, that's a third model. So again, it's really around that coordination of care. Um, and, and the pharmacy has to be prepared to handle any of those uh, with a particular manufacturer.
2: No, and, and great points, I think, and again, it leads me to my last question, guys, as we kind of wrap this, this first episode uh, of this biopharmaceutical uh, series uh, within this uh, topic of, of discussion is... As we sit here at a, you know, live at the Assembia show, working with these manufacturers uh, from the, you know, not only our backgrounds, but the, the specialty pharmacy uh, organizations we represent, you know, Assembia, uh, Orsini, and Excel Health, you know, there is a large number of, you know, key things that we grabbed here in this discussion you know, from each of you, I'd like to see what, you know, key things you know, of goals and priorities that you could, you know, address, you know, working with manufacturers that you really need to see happen within those manufacturers coming out with these type of products.
1: Well, I, I think the the key thing is, you know, what can we do um, to help bring these patients, bring these treatments and commercialize them in mar- into the market and really help these patients? I mean, this is, you know, this is giving these patients hope. And just, you know, that pipeline you talk about is exciting. Wow. I, you know, I I thought I had this, you know, debilitating genetic disease and there was no way around it. There is now. And, you know, you know, there's, there's actually a cure and we just need to figure out how to make this affordable. And I think some of that's really looking at the cost of not doing this. What is it really costing the healthcare system? Um, it's it's not just that patient; it's their whole family. That whole family is focused on caring for that patient. That patient might not be able to work in the same way they would be able to. So we really have to look at the big picture and what it means to society, so that we can say yes, you know. We want to figure out a way and we wanna pay for this because it's it's better it's better for all of us. So I, I think that's the important thing. I think the you know pharma's done a great job and just the innovation excites me. I think it's it's what's important about our model, you know, when we're looking at Inflation Reduction Act and some of these other things that might limit innovation, I would say To pharma, keep innovating. You know, what do we need to do to make that happen, Um, as a country and as a society? You know,
0: we'll we'll figure out how to pay for it, but just keep innovating. Tommy, you bring up some great points because at the end of the day, it's a patient. It could be your child. It could be a parent, it could be a good friend, it could be any number of people, but it's a patient. It's a a human being that you've now given hope to. You know, from the pharmacy's point of view, you know, we, we, we try and keep in mind that that patient is at the end of every stream that we're working down. And, I, and when we collaborate with the manufacturer, building a program, um, you know, to Tommy's point, putting the process together to most effectively get that medication to whatever is the appropriate site of administration, um, you know, we encourage and we, we talk to the manufacturers about always keeping that patient in mind as we try and do as well, because ultimately that's what we're all here for, and that's what everyone here at Assembia is for. Ultimately, it's to help, you know, that child, to help that parent or whoever, you know, you care about.
2: No, and I I think, again, you know, as we sit here and, and, you know, we're on uh, one of the last days of the Assembia show, I think, you know, the most important thing even within Excel Health is, you know, we all kind of grab that, is the patient has continued to be first, uh, it, within the specialty pharmacy channel, but besides looking at the clinical and financial aspects uh, within these therapies, working with manufacturers and really manufacturers to us, uh, working with them and, and again, you guys, you know, hit on a lot of key aspects is finding the right partner, you know, and, and really customizing, um, you know, the services and the solutions that we all offer uh, from the organizations we. We provide and, and represent but it really again it really comes down to you know working with the right partner uh with the right teams to put that patient first um and i, and I you know, I'll, I'll end on that note um so again i really want to thank you guys you know tommy Cohn from asembia nick calla from orsini uh great first episode as we, uh, the, we kick off the biopharmaceutical educational podcast workshop series of one of six uh, we're uh, hitting one podcast series every month now all the way through october um, and again, I want to really want to thank uh, Pharmacy Podcast Network and our uh, affiliation and partnership with the National Association, especially Pharmacy, and obviously Mike Balzicki, Chief Brand Officer with Excel Health. Great first episode, guys. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike.